Want to unlock the potential of LinkedIn and accelerate the growth of your personal brand? My online LinkedIn program offers a step-by-step system to help you do just that. It's the same framework I use to grow my followings from 0 to 30,000 followers and 500,000 in income. Through three modules, you'll learn how to optimize your profile, create compelling content that people will consume, and leverage growth hacks to boost your visibility. The course is concise, easy to follow, and highly practical, with each module distilling hundreds of hours of research, experimentation, and first-hand experience. By completing this program, you'll gain the knowledge and tools you need to drive traffic to your profile, increase your top-of-mind awareness, and grow your connections. Whether you're a job seeker, business owner, or simply looking to promote a course, this program is the key to unlocking the power of LinkedIn for your personal brand. Learn more about this program at adriantan.com.sg slash LinkedIn. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Adrian Tan Show. On this podcast, I speak with entrepreneurs, HR leaders and coaches who have a great impact on the future of work. I hope they distill their life lessons so that the rest of us can learn from their best practices. Hi Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey Adrian, thanks for allowing me to be on the show, man. It's a very big privilege. I'm a data science partner at Kickstart. Think of us as a McKenzie or Conferry. We're a boutique consulting firm to help clients actually solve business problems using data, help companies to know where do they spend their money on human resource. These are the things that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, the chief HR officer or the chief people officer would say, you have to trust us. Some things are hard to quantify, but... Gut feel. Lah. Yes, you're right. It's the gut feel. So like. basically, in a way, data science is the scientific way to do gut feel in a way. We What we do is basically we use data to validate either your gut feel or to show you something that your gut couldn't tell you about. Or your gut could be completely wrong. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Great. And in terms of the prevalency of this spectrum, any idea how many companies are actually utilizing data science? There was a study that shows less than 5% of the global Fortune 500 companies are looking in terms of using human resource data science as a means to move the needle on the top line and bottom line. Most of them, what they are doing is that they have been using, because the big brands like the McKenzie, the Conferry, the Aeon Tower Watson, which is fine, been using traditional what I call metrics or benchmarking performance whereby, you know, getting everybody to do survey, the classic one, 360. How do you think of the company is doing? What areas that you're not happy? And then run a columns, like bars and charts, the verticals or the horizontals. And to say, hey, these are the areas that we don't do well. Let's put money on them. So that's the, as of what we are seeing, this is what I call a descriptive statistics or what is what you get kind of stuff. How should company be looking at HR data science or HR analytics or people analytics into the future is because right now we come to a stage where we have enough capacity. Computing data is getting cheaper. If you look at Amazon, Google, WhatsApp, AliCloud, it's like think a few cents per second on a few bikes. So it's very cheap. Storage data is getting cheap. Uh, all the HR software, we're talking about SAP, Workday, they all now move, modernize their technology stack to enable what I call API, automated process interface, which means that if you write some code, you are able to send an instruction to pull the data out into say an Excel sheet or to pull it and store it into a database, say let's say Microsoft SQL or AWS RDS. 
So what I'm trying to say is that the technology infrastructure is there. The capacity to do all this data crunching, machine learning, capitalizing on AI is possible. It is cheap. If you think about it, the marketing 10 years ago, what, okay, I want to do a marketing promotion, right? And you would do it on either a radio ads, you would do it on a TV or cinema. And then that's it, or newspaper print. But the advent, the introduction of Google SEO, the introduction of Facebook campaign, YouTube campaign, allowing the small medium businesses to just put their campaign strategy, their positioning, the duration, the amount of money, swipe a card, boom! You can run 10, 20 campaigns on different demographics and look at the cost per hire, which is the modern day of return on investment on digital marketing. So now, if marketing can do it this way, why not human resource? Let's say you're speaking with a company that's looking to introduce data science for the first time. What is the few low-hanging food you recommend and why? Um, right now, what I'm seeing or what I'm having conversation with all these uh, companies uh, even when I was an in-house uh, as a chief data scientist for human resource is the CHR or CPO at the primal instinct is, hey, can we do a simple dashboard? And they were always wanted to know like a dashboard with how many people are leaving, like the attrition, which is the standard stuff. That's the what it is. But what now they can do with all these things that I told you is how can I predict the total number of people leaving my company next month? the following month. And previously, the CHRO or CPO, they wouldn't even think about it. The way they would do it is, okay, one month later, what is the attrition rate for the previous month? But they won't ask, hey, next month or the following month, how many people will leave? Huh? And what does it mean for business? What does it mean for CFO, CTO or CEO? So give you a classic example. Let's say an airline or a bank, right? They have a receptionist or relationship manager or travel ticketing manager. And they will want to know that, hey, my guys leave. How many new guys I need to hire to replace them, to train them, to pay them? One person that leave can cost the company at least uh, about, if I remember correctly, about $50,000 to $100,000 of direct monetary impact and indirect monetary impact. So right now, if the CHRO can say, oh, next month, we are expecting a 2% drop in the number of people leaving our company in, uh, voluntarily. And that 2% means, let's say, 20 people, and that's about, let's say, $200,000. How fast can we fill this thing? And how much do we need to pay LinkedIn? How much do we need to pay all these other headhunters to fill the gap? Through data science, you're able to identify losing this hire equal to, I don't know, maybe $500,000 worth of losses. That may, that should give the hiring manager, the supervising officer motivation to make sure the person don't leave. Because <laughs> if he or she leave, it's very expensive to fill the hole, provided you can even fill it to begin with. Lah. So that is naturally one aspect. Based on what you mentioned, it also has to derive from certain quantity, right? Is this data science thing something that only larger companies should explore? Is there a magic number that say, oh, okay, once you cross this number of headcount, uh, this is where you should really consider data science? That's a very good question. I think there to answer that, there's two parts to it. Of course, with big companies, any companies that has, say, more than three years to 10 years of uh, operating experience on the same kind of business as usual activity for more than a thousand hit counts on for a specific job family, then statistically speaking, yes, you will be able to 
you know, predict things because things are moving as usual. But let's say if it's a tech startup or small and medium businesses, the smarter way to do is to like Singapore government. We work with the Singapore government to say, okay, maybe these are 10, 20 companies. They're all in fintech. They're all in insurance tech or they're all e-commerce companies like Lazada, Zilingo. They come together and they pull their money and their data together. Then we are able to you know, predict with sufficient data capacity or statistical significance. So it's like coming together to do a group buy on Shopee. La. Yes, but in this case, it's like group data analysis. One of the things when I discuss data science or HR analytics is they always constantly ask for, I need more data. Data not clean or data incomplete. That always seems to be the re- response when you try to dive a bit deeper. And somehow because of that, you basically don't take action. <laughs> you don't make decision which negates the purpose of data science. The thing is, data can never be complete. Data can never be 100% clean. I would say that there's two parts. One is definitely, you're right, in all data science cases, whether it's human resource or marketing, the data will never be complete. Company is dead. <laughs> History reason, right? The company will never continue to grow and like 10 years and 10 years of data, right? And also the fact that when you want to look at a business problem or HR analytics problem, it's really regarding the scope. So if the scope is very simple and easy to understand, then we all we just need is sufficient data to be able to answer that question. I'll give you an example. Say both an airline company and a bank, right? The problem that they're facing is not new. Talent for war. Everybody needs to hire people. How do we increase the quality of our hire like in that sense. So we look at that question in terms of what do you mean by quality of hire? So we need to get that to, to measure in a very specific way. So in that case, it could be the guy, he joined the company and then after one year, the supervisor say, hey, this guy is good. The person himself say, hey, I managed to do the job. So that is the way of indexing is he a good hire? If he's saying, no, he's not doing a good job, or the guy saying, I want to quit, then it's not a good hire. So let's keep it simple. How many people are there in the company? Let's say for an airline or a bank, sure, we'll have 5,000 or 10,000, depending on the region or a global company. And so for that itself, is able to take that data and then also look at what can drive the quality of hire. Is it because of the selection process? Is it because of the number of candidates that they have been filling it for interview. And also, it depends on the performance and the chemistry between the supervisor, the team, and the individual. So if we have these five sets of data over a period of time, six months, it doesn't have to be a very complete. That means the guy doesn't have to fill out the data form or survey every day. All you just need to do is, let's say, Almost like, um, think of it as, oh, you buy a Fitbit watch. You do exercise. You don't do exercise every day, but you walk every day. So if you can collect the measurement every once a week over, say, six months, that's that should, that's doable, right? These days, if you think about it, like say COVID-19, everybody has to do room temperature or the body temperature. That's every day. Over six months, you can even predict who is going to most likely going to fall sick. Based on that, incomplete, it is reality, but there are many ways we can actually solve it as long as the scope is very simple and clear and making the habit easy to do, like using a survey or even just calling just to filling up, clock in, clock out. These are possible. So incompleteness is a given. 
I think it would be impractical for anyone to expect that I have 100% data. I think even Google also don't dare to say that they have 100% of all the information in the entire world. So let alone any company that try to attempt all this data science and data. So the other thing that I would like to understand a bit more, of course, might be the the kind of metrics that one should consider, you you earlier mentioned, okay, just look at these five areas. And I'm asking from the angle, again, perhaps from someone who may be new to this and looking at the kind of adjustment, tweaks, or even major decisions I need to make based on the information that I receive. But five different metrics already could have m- many different permutations. Nah. Exactly what went wrong, what went right, etc., it may already be quite overwhelming. Even if you keep to three, I think it's also a bit overwhelming. Where exactly go wrong? I do not know. So how does one try to keep that manageable? It's actually a process. And we all know that if you have a good habit, you have a good routine, then the process will be easy to stick to and eventually you have clean, consistent data as much as possible. So for that same case of measuring the quality of higher we would have to look in terms of that four data sets. Where do we collect the four data sets? Is it from a survey? Is it from the Human Resource Applicant Tracking System or ETS? Is it from LinkedIn? So we look at all these what I call technology apps or data capture survey forms. And we see uh, the terms of the behavior, like how people actually fill up the forms or how people actually feed the data into the system so that if the feeding is just one click and just one login, a few simple answer, like one, two, three, then it's very easy. But if it's like a 20, 30 question, this is a huge sign of friction that um, you can expect the data to be like very dirty. One thing come to mind is because I have a dog and I frequent pet lover center. And whenever you go to the cashier, they will have this, oh, please rate us. It's just three buttons. You just press poor, uh, okay, or good. And that really reduces the friction. And because it's done at the cashier, and of course, the cashier also play a part. Like, Can you please rate us before I process your payment? So that naturally makes it very easy for them to collect the data. It has to be perhaps to the extent at certain touch point where people are already doing it. So you're able to collect those information without being invasive or give them extra things to do. It could be the owner wanted to know, hey, how do I design a better experience for my customer? And I need to know whether people like this touch experience so that you say that three buttons or it makes it easy and the deliberate design to set it up there to capture that data so in other words even in the same company like they want to boost a certain employee experience let's say to give a benefit or to give bonuses or to make claims or leave easy they need to set up that digital form experience so that it's easy to capture that data i'm sure as with all new exercises or, or even current one there are the pros, which you've rightly mentioned, but there may also be certain challenges. What are some of the common challenges that new data science initiative may come across? And perhaps what are some of the things that they might be able to sidestep given your vast experience in this field? The very common one in data science, especially human resource data science or people data science, is we always want to do organizational climate study, which means like how are my people feeling and thinking. Normally, when you want to run this kind of study, you will want to collect their persona, which is either male, female, age, education level, what's the job family. And the worry that most companies is, hey, 
if I tell them I don't like this, maybe I don't like my boss, or maybe the area of improvement is to improve my boss relationship or training, ah, will I be, will they be able to zoom in to me? Uh? And then later they take some really interesting action. Uh? So that is what I call trust. How do we establish that trust? And a lot of big companies, that's why they use the brands or they use what I call third party. And the justification is that the third party, they have their own system, they have their own database, and whatever you fill in, it will be anonymized. The data will be for analytics or research purposes. So that's where you can sidestep it. To enable another party to do an independent, anonymized study and yet create enough relevance and trust that the data is used to benefit the employees and to benefit the company. The other challenges is what we call the survey fatigue or the employee feedback fatigue, which means that it's very common. Like if you as a customer, you go to do shopping or you go for traveling or you use a credit card, and every time you use it, suddenly they send you a notification, hey, rate one to five star. If you do it once a year or once every touch point is easy, then you won't think of it. But imagine, well, wow, the whole end-to-end -end for an airline, imagine you buy an air ticket, they give you a notification, do survey. You check in to the travel, they give you a survey. You fly, they give you a survey. You end up, they give you a survey. Five, six surveys before you end off the whole trip. How would you feel? You're like, oh my God, this is tiring. In the same way in company, right? Imagine you're an employee. Well, I want to know your 365. Are you doing well in your training? Are you happy with your bonuses? Are you happy with the boss? So there's 33 HR practices. If I increase the number of frequency to collect data, yes, I have high resolution on you. It's almost like the Truman Show. But how would you feel when you keep feeding data to, to, to the company? Right? You'll be thinking, wow, they're tired, right? Is this necessary or not? We'll, we'll, Will they use this data against me? Yeah, see the ink to to fill all the surveys. That's my boss will be thinking like that. And so that is the real problem: survey fatigue. And the way to sidestep this is, we do two types of survey. One is we call it the strategic survey, where we really want to know across the whole company what are the key things that they want to collect data about. So every quarterly before a town hall, everybody do a survey. Hey, we're going to talk about pay, or we're going to talk about restructuring, or we're going to talk about leadership, competency, and give us the sentiment, very five, eight question. We'll keep it very short, and we do it. So that gives an, like a thing of it, like a CT scan or x-ray. Hey, is this guy x-ray fracture bone? Is he repairing periodic quarterly kind of thing? And then the other one is why we do a pulse survey. So randomly, in random, and anybody in the company, we suddenly Microsoft Teams in or Slack him or WhatsApp him with a Google form or Microsoft Team form and say, hey, this is a quick survey. Just answer one questions and we collect it across the whole company based on statistical sampling. I say 10% if it's a 10,000 company, it's a 1,000. And then over one year. So we are able to sample 100% and adjust for survey fatigue. Yeah. I read a study before that doctor patients actually Many of them are actually not truthful when they confide in their doctor for fear factor because they don't want people to judge them and also in a way to impress the doctor. Lah. Especially dentists. Do you brush your teeth? They say, yes, I brush every other minute. But of course, that would lead to, like you say, in a survey format, that would lead to a lot of inaccurate data. Data collection is not just by me asking you questions. There can also be things that I monitor on you. 
maybe perhaps the I mean for lack of a more sophisticated example maybe like what time you log onto the system mm. I know there are some company that actually does the analyze your email logs as a way to build relationship. Many years ago when I was with a company, we were using Slack and I remember there was this plug-in. I'm not sure how accurate it is. Mm. But based on the conversation you have in the group chat, every end of the day, they'll tell you, oh, this is the mood score of the company. Compared to last week, it is better, it is worse, etc. Can we also discuss those kind of data collection method? And how do we balance that versus the kind of survey questions that we ask. And I think importantly, also the resistance issue because nobody likes to be tracked, right? Yes. Yeah, I've heard so many stories of people being told by their company, oh, we are monitoring whether you are on uh, green status on your Slack. That means they're not at a computer, which of course has led to the market. If you go to Shopee, you can Google for this thing called mouse jiggler. (laughs) Yeah. So initially, it's quite crude. You, it's something that you put your mouse on and then every few minutes it will jigger <laughs> so that your Slack data is always green, your team data is always green. But right now, uh, it is as small as a USB dongle. Where do you think is the right line to draw when it comes to employee resistance on such things? The first part was the survey. Survey is always subjective. It's always what I think, what I feel. And yes, there's a lot of studies. There's a high level of inaccuracy on all this self-filling survey, but we still need it just to get a, a sense of it. So we know how to reply. The other one is what I call employee listening, meaning to say that I don't need to ask you for it. Like you say, I track whether are you on Slack, I track whether are you on Zoom, I track all your digital footprint. These days, you can track carbon footprint. Now it's called the digital workprint, right? So then the question here comes in terms of how do we use this digital work print to enable a better work experience for the employee and for the company? Of course, the worry that employees always worry is that is it too surveillance? Are they too unforgiving? The customer complain, hey, I call for customer service. This guy is like missing or do not disturb. The algorithm in the customer service app can, I want to pee immediately, switch off to another guy. So these are all the possible intervention for that. And so this is how new intervention can do to solve the problem of increasing the employee experience and the customer service experience. Are there any tips you'd like to give to the listeners on trying to get that buy-in from the employees to let them know that, hey, actually, we are in it together. This will not just help us, but will also help you. What are some of the things that they may want to take note of? And you, you are right. In terms of that is the this will only work if there is trust between the employee and employer. And what can better facilitate this trust in order to use this data or to collect this data for the purpose of the employee experience and a company's performance is to really just have a, you can call it straight talk communication in terms of, hi guys, for the benefit of everybody, we are going to collect this data and we are going to use this data to know how can we design a better job, a better workflow, or even changes to the technology and the tools that you use. As long as the employer can able to have the psychological safety to say, hey boss, I think what you're doing actually does helps the company and it makes me sure because you tell me what you're going to use the data to do better for me. But most of the time, managers and big companies or management, they need more help to even articulate this what I call the HR data charter. What is this data used for? How 
transparent this data is being used for the benefit of the employee and the company. Where do you see the field of HR data science evolving? in the future and what other advancement as we continue to look towards the future do you think data science can play a part in in the immediate future based on the continued advancement in technology and all and what are some of the things that people could anticipate and expect the long-term future is the moment when like men and machine and management work in a tripartite manner given that the artificial intelligence and machine is able to generate a level of deep insight that the human couldn't really use his gut to have that resolution. Think of the current parallel. You look at now, you go to a hospital with an x-ray, whether it's on breast cancer or chest, the AI can say, hey, you might have a stage 2 cancer and the probability is 80% to stage 3 if you don't take treatment now. So in the same way, if you think from an organizational perspective, they will be thinking, oh, should we change this job design? The machine can say, by six months' time, the market will have changed this way. You might have moved from selling beef burger to fish burger. You need a different process to process the fish. You need a different process to buy the fish. And we need four more people to transit this process. And this is how it works. And if we don't do it, the bottom line will be $6 million. The top line will be $20 million with an 80% probability. And this will be the future. Can we do it now? We can do it now on a step-by-step basis. So the first step could be just making sure all the digital apps capturing is done online. You have clean, consistent data. Everything is standardized. That's step two. Step three, then you look in terms of the HR 33 practices. Either you want to look at leadership, you want to look at attrition, you want to look at pay, and then linked it to the step four, which is how does this change link to the top line and bottom line? Then go to level five and six, which is drilling down to the specific. Is it this level of changing the job scope, the process, the skilling? What's the amount of money we need to put in? What's the risk? What's the impact going to be on my top line and bottom line? So this is this can happen over a six to eight steps process. It may be obvious to many listeners that if they want to implement some form of data science into their organization, the first step perhaps is to speak with an expert like yourself. But I think beyond just, oh, let's find a vendor to solve this for us, I think HR professionals also need to know, or even company leaders need to have some sense of what this is about. So as an individual, as someone who may not really be affluent in this space, how do you suggest them to take some baby steps in acquiring some of the knowledge. I remember whether I do a HR data science or before that, I was doing financial engineering or even derivative trading. What I do is to first learn the concepts. To learn the concept of HR data science, basically, of course, you need to learn human resource and data science and the combination of both. Of course, the combination of both takes a bit of years of mastery, but just to put it in simple, right now, what can we do about it? I mean, if you're in the human resource industry, first get well-versed in terms of what you're doing in your HR practices, if, whether you're a common band specialist or L&D specialist. Then look in terms of talking to the business folks and collecting the data in terms of what are the data that I can collect within my function and how does this impact the top line and bottom line. So the immediate step we can do for people to get discovery is first get the concept of human resource and then there are two ways one is you can read books you can read online the other one is you get 
and get to the groove where you do the work, right? You do compensation benefit, you do learning and development, get the hang of that and then speak to your peers. The pe- your peers in the human resource industry can give you all the, the use cases, the problem sets. You need the use cases and problem sets. Then we can go and talk to even the second group of people, which is the data scientists. Yes, it's going to be a, like a chicken and duck talk because the frequency is not going to be the same. But there's always saying that you only progress when you're uncomfortable. So when you tell your business problem or your use cases problem to the data scientists, and then you hear what they say, you will get puzzled. That also drives curiosity to delve into the data science room, which is like learning about data structure, data collection, algorithm, statistical programming, choice of technique. Then start dabbling in terms of descriptive statistics and then moving to predictive. Then you can start moving down to going to this HR data science. For people who is interested to learn more about yourself and what you do, where can they go to? They can go to my LinkedIn page, which is Andrew Liu Wida, or my website, andrewliuida.com. Thank you so much for making time today. And it's really fascinating to learn about the evolution of HR data science and how it could help company in amplifying and also advancing what they are trying to do. And I think the good thing is really to skip the gut feel stage, which definitely is way overdue. I remember CHRO mentioned, maybe in tongue-in-cheek at, over at an event, that during a board meeting, and this was many years back, you have, of course, the uh, VP of sales coming in. Oh, here are the sales figure. You have the CFO coming in. Oh, here are the P&L, profit sheet, financial projection. But when you reach the CHRO, right? Oh, here is the attendance sheet. <laughs> Because many years ago, there's just no data. So what can you talk about? Attendance, I mark, I see who's here, who's not here. And I think if you are really ambitious enough, everyone wants to continue to climb up the ladder. Even the top of the HR department may not be the pinnacle. You want to go a bit higher. But I think for anyone to seriously be considered, you have to be aligned with the goalposts of the organization, which in many private organizations would be financial, whether you're making money or not. And those alignment can only come if you're affluent and comfortable in that. And if you're in the HR space, of course, that will start with all this data in the all this HR data that you're collecting on a regular basis to help you make better decisions, which will not just have a material impact on what you have been doing, but also to a larger extent to the entire company, the profitability. And that is how you can really 10x the amount of returns that you're looking at and also 10x the amount of output that you're trying to put together for the organization. So with that, I hope everyone who is listening who may be a inc- who may have some inkling on exploring data science, please check out Andrew's profile. The information will be in the show notes. And thank you so much for coming on to the show, Andrew. Thank you so much, Adrian. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you are using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Hunt Show.